This is Eastman's Elevated Podcast. I have on great guests that are really knowledgeable, consistently successful. We're able to dive deep down the rabbit holes of these different subject matters of shooting, of physical fitness, of mental toughness and drive. All the different skills that make up a complete hunter that you can become. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So today on the podcast, I have back on my friend Kane Reinhardt. So Kane is a local guy. He's out of Bozeman there, uh, so about 60 miles away from me. And uh, I've known Kane for quite a while, and he's just one of these guys that is consistently successful with his bow. He's, like, put in the work in all these different facets to be at his very best bow hunting. And so he kills some great animals, and really I wanted to have him on the podcast today. So he started this... um, like tuning bow shop where he does like next level tuning for people's bows. It's called uh, Seuss Crick Archery, but the best way to reach him is through his Instagram at Kane Reinhardt. Uh, but yeah, he's taking people's bows and doing this high level tuning. And so I wanted to walk through his process from start to finish. Uh, throughout the last 20 years, I've also developed like a good process for setting up my bows for next level accuracy. And, um, I, I still learn things from Kane as he just works on so many people's bows and so smart with this stuff. And so uh, I picked up a couple tips as well that I'm implementing on my setup. But yeah, just walking through a bow, setting it up from start to finish of what's important and what's not and how you can find more accuracy out of your bow. So uh, it's a great podcast. I really appreciate him taking the time and being on and sharing so much good information. So we'll get right into it. I just want to thank a couple sponsors. I want to thank Element. Uh, Element is L-M-N-T. Element, it's a a hydration supplement. Uh, So it has electrolytes in it. You add it to your water, and it just helps you hold that water better. It's got no added sugar, so super healthy. And this is, like, great for all the hunting we do where we're sweating hot weather hunts. Uh, Use it in the training and in, like, ultra running. And it's known in ultra running that if you just drink water, you can bonk and that you need to take salt tablets. And so I've incorporated this into my long distance running and also into my high exertion hunts. And I've seen huge benefits out of it. And so I started using this element a few months ago. And definitely, I think it's even better than the salt tablets. So uh, it's just going to be like an electrolyte supplement that's going to help you hold on to that water. So, like... There's this this term or there's this deal that can happen in long distance running, and I've had it on an ultra before. It's hyponatremia, and hyponatremia, I've actually seen it on some of my buddies as well, uh, hunting um, early season hunts. Actually, I've seen it like hunting big mountain hunts at high elevation. So high elevation uh, is also going to take more water from your system, and it's also going to put a higher exertion on the body, but... This hyponatremia, it, it can develop through like high exertion, and basically you just bonk, and um, uh, you know all of a sudden you start throwing up. You can't hold down water, you can't hold down food, and really there's like a lot of deaths from from hot weather, high exertion, and so uh, basically this element is just going to help you with this. There's so many like good benefits to this element. But, you know, it's going to maintain steady health, uh, improve cognitive function, suffer fewer headaches, experience fewer muscle cramps, support fasting. 
uh, regulate digestion, get better sleep, like a bunch of benefits out of it. And it's really easy. You just add it to your water uh, and it's going to help you hydrate. They've got a few different flavors that I really like. And you can actually get a sample pack where you can try out all these flavors with um, purchase. So you have to go to a landing page and the landing page, uh, let me find it here. It's drinkelement.com backslash uh, elevated, and that'll um, get you that free uh, sample pack of all those different flavors so you can figure out what kind you like. Uh, but I really like this stuff for my training, for my hunting, for my long-distance running, uh, and I'm seeing huge benefits in using it. So, um, yeah, go check it out. Uh, again, that landing page is um, drinkelement.com backslash elevated. And Element is L-M-N-T, and thanks to those guys for their support. I also want to thank Sig Sauer Optics. I've uh, been really pumped with Sig Sauer Optics. Um, been using them the last few years. They've got such high-end glass now that holds up to all the top glass. And you can find that new glass in their new Zulu 6s HDXs. Uh, man, it's just awesome glass. I got a pair of 15s, uh, so 15 by 56s. Also got a pair of 10 by 42s, and I love them. They're just great glass. Uh, the other thing I really like from Sig Sauer is their image stabilizing binos. Uh, these things are an absolute game changer, and it seems like everybody I, I hand a pair uh, eventually ends up with them and ends up being more effective and spotting more game. It's basically just like glassing off a tripod everywhere you look. Uh, you can look off the windiest ridge, and you have a stable image to look through. They've actually revamped this whole series, put their high-end glass in it. Super impressed. So these are their Zulu 6s HDXs. Uh, I really like... The, the 12 by 42s, I haven't had a chance to try the 10 by 30s yet, but I really like the old pair of 10 by 30s, so I think it'd be like a great set. But this 12 by 42 has been money for me. I also like the 16 by 42s. I'll carry those in my pack. They're good for glassing distance or also for um, like being able to uh, size up animals and such. So really like those. They also have a pair of 20s, which have a high magnification. Uh, so you can check those out. I also think Sig Sauer is doing rangefinders better than anybody out there. Uh, you can check out their new Kilo 5K. That's what I'm using. Just the same ranges on light and dark targets, a powerful laser that'll shoot through grass. It'll do angles, and not only do angles, but you can put in the speed of your bow to get the exact cut as... It's so important for us archers, especially shooting in steep terrain. So, uh, yeah, just absolutely love their rangefinders, binoculars, rifle scopes, uh, also spotting scopes. They've got a great one that's just such good glass in it. It's an 80 mil objective lens, 27 by 55 power. Uh, the thing is absolutely crystal clear. So, yeah, an awesome scope. You can check that out as well. And uh, thanks to those guys for their support of the podcast. I uh, look forward to seeing them here at some upcoming shows. Uh, well, I guess I'm just doing the, uh, the hunting expo there in Salt Lake City. So look forward to seeing those guys there. And, um, man, yeah, I also want to thank um, uh, Black Ovis. So Black Ovis is an internet retail shop. They carry all the top name brands as well as their own name brand. They have a knowledgeable staff. Uh, yeah, you can just pick up anything you need for your next hunt. And I always like to look at the end of the season and see if there's an item or two that I can upgrade on. I'm not sure 
you know, mine might maybe like trekking poles this year, something like that. I'm pretty well set up. Uh, but yeah, just looking through my gear, trying to figure out anything I need for next season. Oh, you know what I really like is I really like those insulated um, uh, water bladders. I have one of them that's a 100-ounce one, so I'd like to get another one of those uh, and maybe an uninsulated model uh, just for keeping water for backpacking missions. So those are the couple things I'll probably upgrade on this year. But yeah, check them out over at Black Ova. So you can also save 10% off your order by putting in the promo code ELEVATED10 and uh, save a little bit of money there. And over at Eastman's, check out that mule deer course that Dan and I put together. It's sure to shorten your learning curve by years by just taking the time and going through. It's a video format, so really easy to digest, but it's absolutely everything I've learned about hunting mule deer, traveling to different habitats, different seasons. So you can check that out uh, and put in the promo code um, BRIANMDC. That'll save you 10% on your order. Uh, check out Tag Hub. Uh, and check out our, our videos, Beyond the Grid. It's our Eastman's YouTube channel. Uh, so we have my goat hunt that went on there. Uh, there's quite a few of my hunts on there. There's a couple mule deer hunts, a couple elk hunts. Uh, if you look back, there's an antelope hunt. I kind of share the episode with Brandon Mason, but it's on there. Uh, also a caribou hunt. I shared that one with Brandon Mason as well. So yeah, you can check those out. Uh, it's on Eastman's Hunting TV on YouTube and uh, the magazines and everything else we're doing over there. So we're keeping busy. I'm uh, just going to get these podcasts out here, and then I'm going to head over to the office and meet with everybody. I know it's show season here, but, yeah, just going to do the Monday morning meeting uh, on everything Eastman. So we'll be good to catch up with those guys. Hopefully I can get a podcast or two recorded uh, with some good information. So, um, yeah, I'll shoot over and do that. It's uh, pretty cold today. The The roads are going to be pretty icy. It's going to take me a bit to get over there. It's only about three or four hour drive, but that'll probably be five or six with the way the roads are. But no worries. Just take my time, make it there safe. So that's what I'm up to. Let's get into this podcast. It's a great one with Kane Reinhardt, all about setting up your bow from scratch. Uh, and I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Hmm. Man, the bow shop looks good back there. Yeah, thanks. I uh, I've added I've added a couple new things this year, man. Just I'm always I swear, man. LastchanceArchery.com. They really they really get me every year. I'm always just picking up the new products they put out and everything. And um, been doing a lot of work this year and upgraded some of my stuff. Upgraded my press. Um, been working a lot on that new lift. So. Uh, tons of tinkering when the winter months started settling in that's for sure so yeah it's good in here man it's been it's been a lot of hours spent in here and uh i've been ever since my lift got here i don't feel like i've left it really <laughs> well good dude that's why i wanted to get you on the podcast like um man i i want to hear about your season and definitely hear about you and your buddy in that 400 inch bowl but what yeah. I think I want to do for today's conversation is just kind of chat over with you because you're so knowledgeable with these bows, but just talk over our process and how if guys want to get that next level accuracy, like uh, how we set up our bows from start to finish and what's important and what's not. Yeah, no, totally, man. Um, and I've, I have like, and, and I think everything we need to talk about here, it, it's all just everyone needs to remember this stuff is all preference in the end of the day. You know, I mean, some people are going to say the opposite of what either you or I think if they have a process that works better for them to get tuned and ready for hunting season. And that's totally fine. Like I'm never, 
the thing about me is I'm never here to tell anybody what's right and wrong, just kind of how I do things. But, and I'm fresh with it right now because yeah, so I got, I just got the new lift, um, went to 80 pounds this year. So super stoked about that. Um, and, uh, this, this year I was really hoping to try the new match string, but I want to be ready for spring this year. So I just kind of went with my, uh, my usual go-to, which is the, the gas ghost XB string. So that's always the first thing I do is, and I don't know about you with your string preference, but I'm waiting for the match to kind of get out there and see how my, you know, certain buddies like it and everything and kind of let the waters get tested there for a little while. Oh, that's Um, smart. Yeah. Um, and then we'll, we'll come back to that in the summer when it's time to get ready for the fall. Um, and dude, the gas Ghost XV string has just always been the most stable string I've ever shot. I used to run them on my competition bows when I shot competition, and now I'm running them on all my hunting bows. Uh, and the the big the big thing with those strings is you know they only come white. You can only pick your serving colors, which that's people don't understand. That's one of the things that makes a string stable. You see these guys with some strings that have like tons of dye in them, you know, because it's it looks cool. Um, but those dyes are kind of what can make strings stretch more over time. And so, and, and gas is a cool company, man, because like they're, it's, they're small. And so there's, they pay a lot of attention to details when they're doing their strings. This isn't like a mass produced product. Um, but you know, in, in the beginning, that's the first thing I always do. Um, and then once that's on, man, I'm going to start checking the bow and making sure things are in spec, which is a huge thing I want to talk about today is, uh, you know, getting a bow in spec, meaning making sure your axle to axle is correct, uh, cam timing and all that, which, you know, all those things go hand in hand. Um, and before I do that, I always like to put my peep in first. Like it's one of the first things I do. And reason being is the string itself, unlike the cables is something you're going to mess with maybe once and probably not again, unless you want to change your draw length by, you know, half a twist or something like that. But what I, I don't know about you, but one of my pet peeves, like most bow hunters, is uh, peep twist. <laughs> it drives me nuts. And so a way that I figured out how to really get that dialed in is to do that first. Like I get that – I'll put that peep in, and I set my peep to the proper height. A lot of guys, um, they like to put their peep in, and then if it's not straight, maybe just like move it up and down to get it right. But I always make sure that you know when I'm installing that peep, I'm drawing my bow with my eyes closed – and making sure when I open up, when that sight is topped out, it's right where I need it to be. And then I start twisting the string to get that in the right spot. And then from there, once it's off just by a little bit, um, you can do all these new cool things to get your peep twist like just perfect. Uh, I don't know if you've seen those. Um, you've seen those Bomar peep tuners? Have you seen mm-hmm. those? No. It's a cool. It's a cool little like wedge device, man. So Bomar's got some cool products, but they came out with this little pack of like. It's these little plastic wedges that you can put into your string to really micro-tune your peep. Like if your peep, if you're looking at it and it's slightly turned to the left, you install one of those above the peep. And then if you are turned to the right, you install it, you install it down below the D-loop. And they have different sizes depending on how much you want to tune it. You can really micro-tune exactly like where you want that thing so it's just piped because that's – that's what I really strive for. And that's why I do this in the beginning, because once we manipulate that string, we don't really have to do much else. Mm-hmm. And I also I don't ever I don't like to see setups where guys um, they have their peep really twisted and manipulate the D loop point in that direction to draw it back. And then it just twists. But if you can start from the beginning and have that perfect backwards travel of your D loop and 
your peep to have that thing piped why not do it that way man you're spot on there's like nothing that bothers me more than a twisting peep and it it's like it takes a little bit to dial in it seems like with mine so let's just start from the beginning so your strings i think that's um great i that you're the second person that has told me how how well they like those gas strings and i also like uh, the natural color, no dye in it. it, makes for a more stable uh-huh. string that's not going to stretch or not going to twist. So I think that's great. I've actually been using the Matthews strings, which has been those zebra strings. You called it a match string. Is that something new yeah. they came out with this year? Yeah, your lift has it. Okay. Um, they're all running standard now. So Matthews, um, they they weren't receiving a ton of awesome feedback over the year on zebras over the years on zebras. People you know, had their complaints. So what did they do? Like they do with everything. They took their feedback and they fixed it. And then Matthews is producing in-house now their own string called match. Okay, cool. And, uh, coming in different colors, your bow is going to come standard with a black one. Yep. Um, and the, and the only reason I don't have that on yet is like I said, I, I, I want it to be out there for a little bit and hear about the waters getting tested, see what some buddies think about it. And that's because my my hunting season will start this winter with some cat hunting, some spring hunting. And so I I need to be dialed by then. So for now, I just go with what I know. Um, But I'm hearing really good feedback, man. I I know some guys that make their own strings that have really tested out those match and they say they're super stable. So I think you're going to be happy Mm -hmm. with it. Yeah, it seems like after I can get a string broken into where it goes, I don't see much movement throughout the year on them. But, you know, they can lose poundage as they get wet and they dry out in different climates like i you know you talk about factory spec and that's what we're going to get into next which matthews are great about having their bows at factory spec like one way you can check uh your axle to axle length is by taking a measurement and it should be absolutely right on the money in fact mine's like um uh maybe like a 16th less or whatever so it's juiced up just a little bit and tuned in really good right there but yeah that's what you're talking about and you talked about setting up your peep first i love no rotation it's like seems like it takes a while shooting and then you really got to mess with it so the way you you know i do the same thing is i find the absolute middle power path of the string and so you know center through the burger button hole is where i'm going to tie my string loop and i tie like a little piece of thread on the top and the bottom that way my d loop won't pinch my knock in there for shooting uphill downhill or for hanging on to the arrow extra long and so i'll tie that little piece of thread or serving above and below tie my string loop and i take a measurement from each one of my cams and then i also put an arrow that goes straight through the burger button hole and then that's where i'm going to tie my string loop and i don't move my string loop much for tuning like i'm able to tune with my rest most of the time so I'm like you. After I get that tied in, then I'll just measure, and I have a measurement from the center of my string loop to the center of my peep where I like it at. And so I put it, it's like 5 and 15 sixteenths or right at around 6 right there. And then um, from there with that peep, man, I've been checking out, like last year I shot that total peep. And I really like like mm-hmm. the dark ring around it and then the oval on the inside and a three sixteenths. It worked really well and brought in my accuracy, especially in indoor where I had that really dark oval around um to line up my sight. And then this year I I'm trying that Hamski uh uh their peep that they have and and actually the Hamski has a three sixteenths and also has a seven thirty seconds. So the seven thirty mm-hmm. seconds is slightly bigger. 
and it seems like that's almost a better fit for me in outdoors and all lighting conditions. It doesn't have quite as big of a dark ring inside for indoor, but my eyes are still aligning it really good for indoor, or at least good shooting it where it's shooting good. So, so what peeps are you using, or how do you recommend guys go with their peeps? So something I'm doing this year. So the peep you're talking about, I believe what you have is the Raptor peep. Yep. Um, super good product. I was actually running it on my last two bows. But this year what I decided to do was I went with the InSight system from Hamski, which is where you install um, a, a peep, and then you get the aperture kit with it. So you can take those in and out to change the inner size of that thing to match your rings better to uh, your scope housing. And it's it's definitely that's definitely more of a target archery thing, man. But I've been able to tinker so much with that because uh, I'm running a different type of scope this year. I really want to, you know, get that fit right. Some guys really like that ring to like perfectly go around their sight housing. Some guys kind of like it just right around the outside. That's a preference thing. And I play I play with both. And that's what the aperture kit is good for. You got to spend more money on it because it's just it's a you know more parts. But man, it's been sweet. Like man, that's I've been really shooting. cool, Kane. Yeah, so you can yeah. change the aperture because you're right. Sometimes a perfect fit shoots really good, but it's almost like a small halo aligns better just because you see that halo blacking out on either. It seems like I get better peep alignment, like um, shooting outdoors or more naturally. We'll say with that, but that's really cool. Yeah, I hadn't seen that product. Yeah, it's cool, man. Like I said, it's been a target archery thing. But going back to what I said, like when I want to put that peep in, I tie my peeps in with those double leg uh, peep knots to really lock them in, um, which isn't a preference for all archers because of how permanent it is. But when, you know, before that was a bigger deal when I would put just one standard peep in and then practice for a while and be like, ah, I don't really like the size of that. It was a ton of work to get it out, put it back in, get the twist right. So with the Hamski, that was going back to what I said, setting everything up in the beginning, I get that thing straight, and then I just change apertures. I can leave that peep in almost for good until a new string comes on. So that's why, and that's why I really like those double leg peep knots, man. A lot of guys like to tie stop knots in each end and because um, it's more adjustable. Uh, but me being as how I'm on my next, my previous bow was the exact same size as this one, a 33-inch, my peep height and D-loop. They all stay exactly the same. So that was convenient for me. So And uh, the, the Hamski Insight system has been cool, man. And I'm still kind of playing with the apertures. I think I found the one I want, but um, just taking them in and out instead of having to untie that knot every time and then totally mess with your string again and then you're back to dealing with with twists and all that so this this thing is saving me a lot of time is what it's doing yeah that makes good sense so that knot you use i'm i'm all for really tying in peeps because man any movement on that throws you off and that too if you don't tie in your peep really well what you can get with some of these bigger peeps like that total peep is it wants to slip down the hill and it slips so small so subtle that it's really hard to notice and pretty soon your zero's off and you're moving your sight chasing your tail so i'm like you i like to really tie those things in so that knot you're talking about I tend to go down one string and then around the peep and then down the other side of the string, and I do that both sides. Is your knot different than that, or what knot are you using? It looks the same, but it's it's um, it, it looks the same. It just starts a little differently, man. You start in the center and tie your peep in, oh. and then you go up and then you go up one leg and down the other oh, one cool. with each end. Yeah, that's it's cool. just a little. It's 
it's the same thing. It's just the process to tie. It's a little differently. Um, when I learned how to <laughs> that knot, it took me a while to perfect. So once I once I figured it out, I just stuck with that process. And my peeps have been locked in really tight with that knot. And it also kind of looks cool, you know. Like people like to play with how many spirals are in the string, but whatever. That's just more of aesthetic, personal thing. Yeah, it's nice to have a clean build. Excuse me, gosh. It was just having a cup of coffee or it swallowed it down the wrong pipe. But, uh, yeah, no, I do like a clean-looking bow for sure. Yeah, so it, yeah, it looks really good. Um, so, yeah, that that all, you know, and like I said, when I'm transferring from a bow, that's the same exact size. You know, once D-loop and, and Peep are in the right spot, we can start moving on. And touching on what you said about, um, you know, setting up, going through the burger hole. So I've, I've gone both ways with um, where to put your D loop and where to put your rest. I, I used to do um, running a bow square right down through the center and doing what you do and just starting out with that arrow running perfectly through the center of the burger hole. Um, but I've gone another way with that, which this also works great too. So you know how um, I, I, I'm assuming you've shot some of the integrate rests where it shows that little arrow that you can match up on your bow riser. Mm-hmm. Um, which is so awesome to have integrate parts, man. These things that go together like a glove. Because once you set, you know, once you set that there, that's kind of Matt where Matthews prefers to have that thing. And I was noticing over the years shooting a Matthews that my arrows tuned good with just the slightest downward angle. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and by slight, I mean I, I I level the bow, put an arrow level on, and that arrow level I'll have that bubble like just touching, just barely touching the line. So. I got ahead of that, and um, I set my rest right where Matthews recommends, and then usually adjust my D loop just to where that arrow is just ever so slightly pointed down. And I'm, and it actually worked out great this year, man. My arrow tuned for up and down tears; it tuned perfectly right out of the gate. So that can go both ways, I think. And and guys will have totally different preferences on that because um, I've done it both ways, mm-hmm. and both ways work. Um, but I just. I do like to put that rest where Matthews recommends having it because um, it just, yeah, it's, it's so, and, and then if I need more room to tune and you put it at that spot, your rest has more ability to move up and down. I felt like before with that downward angle, I was setting my D loop first. My rest would be really, really close uh, to the shelf, the riser when it was all the way down. I wasn't crazy about that. Cause I, I was like, man, if anything goes out of whack here, I have no adjustability. So I've had more adjustability going this route yeah that makes sense because you're saying like um your your rest is so close that if you have to move it down it starts hitting the riser and then you run out of room and then you've got to retie in your d loop redo your peep site redo everything and so yeah i'm like you as i try to get ahead of that a bit and that's why i try to measure and find the exact center between both the cams as well because uh, I feel like that seems to tune really well for me. If I get it a little bit low or a little bit high on my string loop, it seems like uh, those cams aren't making equal force on that arrow, and I can have those up and down tunes. So yeah, I'm like I'm like you. I do like that recommended um, uh, spot that Matthews has for their integrated rest and right there. I I wasn't paying much attention to it, but I do end up really close to their recommended spot every time by the time I get all said and done. But yeah, we're real similar on that, the way we set it up. So, okay, so now you've got, um, you know, you, you peep and you've got that where you've got it twisting right. Uh, you've got your rest in there. You've got it set right. Your sight's mounted. Uh, well, oh, go through your sight real quick, like the three axes of, of leveling and how to get a sight set up correctly. 
Yeah, um, totally. So the a lot of guys choose some guys choose sites depending on how adjustable these axes are. Um, and that's never what makes me choose a site in the beginning. But uh, I go I do it a little differently than guys. I have one of those little devices that your site locks into and you can it has little little dials on it to perfectly level the device and do it from there. It can be. And the reason for that, man, is because it can be really hard to do it on your bow. Mm-hmm. It, you have to have a very good vice, which I do. And then trying to get your bow perfectly level in the vice and trying to correct the first, second, and third axis while it's on there. It's just, it's hard. It's like trying to, it's like trying to sight in a rifle at 300 yards for your zero. You know, you're just, there's, there's movement. You don't have as much control over everything. Um, yeah, I actually have it right behind me here. Yeah. I can't, yeah, it's just called, it, it's just a, it's just a yeah. little device where you can mount, um, where you can mount your mounting bracket onto it and then level everything perfectly there. So it's just a more controlled way to do it. Yeah, that's good and, thinking. I like that. I've like seen it in shops and messed around with them. And yeah, so they come perfectly level, which your bow needs to be perfectly level. And so basically the old school way is to uh, level in between like um, uh, your pockets of your cams right there. So you level your bow there. And then you put your sight in, and then you you level your sight to make sure your mm-hmm. sight's level, and then you move the bubble level is like the trying to get all three of those things to line up. So yeah, I it is um it is a bit of messing around to make sure that you get it perfect, and it makes such a difference on your accuracy, your left and right hits, and not getting any cam lean. And so it's got to be perfect. And so I can see why a professional like you has like found a. <laughs> A shortcut for it because it does take me some time to get everything level. So, yeah, level your bow, level the sight, and then level the level in there. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, you know, with and, – and some guys don't put a lot of important in access adjustments, but I, I put a ton into it, man. I mean, if you, if you don't correct the third axis, which is um, – you know, that's the one that has the biggest influence on those up and downhill shots. And, you know, we hunt the mountains here. We don't get a lot of perfectly level shots. Um, we and I, you, you know this especially because you've hunted so many high country mule deer. Most of your shots are like that, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's crazy to me that somebody would go into a high country, you know, Utah muley hunt and not even think about that third axis and how much that can affect that arrow travel if you're pointing downhill. You, you think your bubbles level, but what you're actually you know doing is manipulating your arrow more of a certain direction and you know that could be that could be super costly man in a high pressure situation so it's the the axis adjustments are are very important and a lot of sites um it's easier to do on some sites than others because i've shot them all now i've shot you know black gold hha spot hog and they all have the all you know some of them are super easy to do the third axis axis some of them are, are tough um you kind of just you gotta gotta play with all of them and, and see what you like to do. So but now, it's Kane, super like you're you're kind of like uh, uh you're jumping ahead to the third axis now, right? So like yeah, for setting up yeah. the site, you want to make sure it's level in your device, right? And level with your yeah. bow and the bubbles level. And then from there, yep. are you setting your third axis now, or is your third axis adjustment something that you'll do later in the setup of this bow? 
it comes a little later. Like I do, obviously yeah. I do the second first where, um, wherever your site is on the post is the part where you have to get that nice and level. I mean, that's, that's just kind of a given that, yep. that needs to be level because if you draw, draw your bow back, it's, it's never going to, it's never going to feel right. Yeah. The, the third axis, I just, I guess I'm just trying to emphasize on the importance of it. Oh, for a hundred percent, man, you're so spot yeah. on. It's like, I can't believe how many guys don't set the third axis for going hunting. Even if you're not hunting high country mule deer, like and you're, you are so spot on Kane as it can make a huge difference. You're talking feet inside our effective range that that arrow can be off by the third axis. So like while we're talking about sites and third third axis let's talk about how you set up your third axis and what works for you like you say i know guys all have different systems for setting it up but basically your third axis is the most important when you're shooting up or downhill shots and like kane explained you can think you can see your level is level but you're pointing downhill where it's skewed and so you can actually shoot off to the left or the right by not having your third axis set so talk about your third axis kane and how you set that up So, yeah, so once the first and second are good, I put it in the bow. I put the sight back in the bow, take it in and out, draw it back, see how that feels, make sure that all feels good with a natural draw. The device I have that I'm telling you about that I lock my sight into, you can undo a wheel and pitch the sight up or down. And so that's that's the best way to do it, man. Like it's a super it's a super controlled way to do it, because going back to trying to do this in the bow, um, you know, before you start pitching it up and down to see how your bubble reacts you need to make sure the bow is perfectly level which like i said can be it could be tough um so yeah the device i have will actually pitch the site up and downward i'll put it on the edge of the table pitch it down pitch it up um and whatever the third access adjustment point is i'll start to maneuver that until it gets just right and i keep making sure that it's not just i don't just point it up and then make sure it's good i point it down up down up and make sure it's level the entire way through that that travel. So that's another thing that this little device does for me that you don't have to do with the the sight necessarily on the bow because if first and access are if first and second axis are level, well then just yeah why not why not use my little micro tune device to get that just right instead of the bow which is kind of going to wiggle around on the on the bow vice a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's sick, man. Um, do you find that it's spot on when you start shooting up and down from setting it that way? Oh yeah, if it wasn't I wouldn't use it. Okay. Yeah, I um, um I set mine up, out, tested it out in the field. I've done like a couple different ways like trying to aim down a string and look at it that way. I set it up with the Hooter shooter once and I don't know if I've just got a slight torque to my grip but after setting it up with the Hooter shooter and pointing it downhill I went out and shot it and proofed it, and it just wasn't right. It just like was still missing to the right of here. I had to okay. tweak it a, fur- a little bit further over. So that's why I ask. And like I say, all our processes are different. But yeah, I pretty much get mine close at the house by leveling down a level string, but then it seems like I just got to go out and proof mine, like go out and shoot it at distance. But it, it's tough because once you're out there shooting angles at distance, you can't adjust it. You've got to go home and then adjust your third uh-huh. axis sight back in on flat and then go out to angles again. And so it's just been what I've been practicing all these years and what I trust to make my downhill and uphill shot. So I may be like a bit of the old fashioned way or working way too hard to get mine set up. I should try to use, I need to get one of those, um, one of those sight holders that you're talking about that can move it downhill and then prove it and then believe in it. And then I can set up all my bows that way. Like you're doing. 
Yeah, I know. No, I know this is nobody can see it probably, but this is what it is, man. It's called a it's called a bright. It's made by a company called Bright Sight. Oh, sweet. And you see that that's where my site goes in, and yeah. then everything you can you know move everything and pitch it from there. Um, yeah. So actually, it uh, yeah, it works. It works really well. Like I've been super happy with it. Yep. I've been using it now for like four years. And um, I've been super happy with the way it's worked. Well, you Sorry, know, you would know if it's off too. It's like shooting those tack events and things where they have those steep uphill <laughs> and downhill, and then they have them at like really long distances. That's where you're gonna see like if your third axis is off at all. And the way you shoot, right. like if yours was off by even a few inches, I think you would notice because you'd be right on all your shots or whatever. So yeah, it's obviously working for you. So I think I'm working a bit too hard to get my third axis set i think i need to buy one of those mm-hmm. things that uh, you're talking about it's it's worked man and the biggest gripe that you'll hear from people it's like well that's not it's not on the bow when you're doing it, it it's but what you'll notice is the levels that come inside the device you level it on your table first and then adjust from there and it always and i mean when i've put it back on the bow everything's always been level and there's no better place to test this out than a total archery challenge you know, where you're going to get the craziest angled shots. And that's actually every, every year attack is actually where I confirm that, that that access is on. And then I just, I leave it alone. So yeah, this, this little device, man, like I compared it to, I compared it to, you know, just sighting in a rifle at close range. You know, you just, you have a little more control mm-hmm. and it's just more precise, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. Yeah. I think you're spot on. Okay. So you got your sight mounted, you got all three axes yep. set. Uh, now you're going to begin your tuning process and make sure that this thing is shooting yep. right. So talk about factory specs and the measurements and how yep. uh, precise Matthews is, how you can go off that. And then just the importance of cam timing too. It's like a, yes. a littlest bit makes the biggest difference. Yeah. I've been dying to talk about Good. Okay. Because, Go ahead. So, Get started. So from here, so from where I move on here, man, is all my cable work. Um, so you know, when when we need to adjust adjusting cables affects a few different things. You know, it adjusts your draw, it adjusts your draw weight, it affects cam timing, and it affects your axle to axle. So normally, the great thing about ordering high quality strings is they they have all these preset twists that come so that when you put that string on your bow, your axle to axle should be just about right. Now, cam timing is the thing that I can't stress enough to people. And I always do mine on a draw board. I, you know, when I was younger and would go into shops, the guys would kind of take my bow, drop back and be like, yeah, that feels good. Like they're trying to feel if those stops are hitting the cables just right. And I'm like, yeah, no, I gotta, I gotta get more precise than that. So I have a draw board uh, here in the shop and I get pretty wacky with it, man. So I'll I'll put a light, I'll put a big light in here, get that bow drawn back. And a draw board, man, is one of the most important things you could have if you ever invest in bow shops in your house. It's one of my favorite things because you really get to inspect what everything is at full draw. I mean, we can't really do that drawing the bow back ourselves. So when I'm looking at those stops, I'm looking to see which one is hitting first. And then I will make twists in and out of the strings depending on uh, whether my axle to axle was right. Now, if I feel like my axle to axle might have been a slight bit more than what it's supposed to be, well, that means we're going to put a twist in something. If I felt the axle to axle was a little too close, that means we could take a twist out of something. Whatever stop is hitting first on that cable, um, that's the one that needs a twist. 
Um, and then so uh, have you ever heard of the in-cam timing system from Conquest Archery? No, I haven't. So guys were uh, doing their cam timing, and they couldn't get their stops to hit perfectly because a half twist would either send a stop too far forward or too far back. So um, a professional archer, Dan McCarthy, got with Conquest Archery and came out with these little hourglasses. They're little, tiny little metal hourglasses. I have kits of them behind me here. And you insert those into your cables to simulate an eighth of a twist. And you can get it, like, perfect. Um, wow, guys that's were crazy, man. Yeah, because you do. You fight it. You fight it back and forth trying to get it perfect. And it makes such yep. a big difference in the tuning process to have them exact. You know, you definitely don't want that bottom cam forward or uh, you're just going to get some funky arrow flight. And you're right. I have invested in a draw board as well as it's just the only way to get it real precise. Like, I used to have... You know, it, you try to have somebody look at it and back off it and come back into it, but it's just not as precise as a draw board. And so, yeah, like having a draw board that you can see your bow at full draw makes a difference. So how do those hourglass spacers work? Where do you insert them in the string to get that eighth inch twist or how, do, how does that all yeah. come together? Um, when you press your bow, you yeah. loosen up the cable and just open it up. You know, even amount of strands, and it goes inside the string. Okay, where at in the and string? Any place in the string? In the, it's in the cable. I'm sorry, I'm misspeaking. Oh, it yeah, goes yeah. into the, it goes into the cable. Yep. Um, and so if it's the whatever cam is hitting first, because it's off, you insert an hourglass into the cable that controls that cam. Wow. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's um, crazy, man. Yeah, I've never heard yeah, of it. Yeah, that's yeah. so cool because it can be so tough to get them precise. You half a twist one way and can't get it half a twist another way. And, and, and then what you're talking about, about your ATA length. And so the Matthews are really good and should measure exactly what your axle to axle measurement should be to be in specs. So you know if you know your bow's a 33 or mine's a 29 and a half, it should measure exactly 29 and a half from axle to axle and that's how you know where it's in its uh, location. And then you're adjusting that with your cables by putting a twist or taking a twist out. And now what you're talking about is the cam timing is that you want both the cams to go at the exact same time to have the exact same uh pressure on that on on your arrow from both the top and the bottom which makes for a real forgiving tune uh so you're that hourglass you're moving in there which can move it in eighth of a twist which is crazy man so you can get yours just so spot on the money yeah i can get it just about perfect man and um you know and they don't be afraid to to put them in in both cables if you need to Mm -hmm. because like i said they make them in oh it's four different sizes when you get the kit there's two of each in in four sizes you can i mean you can really mess around with it and and some people might think i'm nuts when i'm talking about trying to get this precise on cam timing but if you want to limit if you want to eliminate up and down tears before you hit the paper tuner just do this part because it's just gonna it's gonna save you so much headache in the end. Because up and down up and down tears can mean a lot of different things. You know, up and down tears indicate weak and uh, stiff tears. So we can, you know, we can rule out cam timing in the beginning and just get that just right. And yeah, those those kits are cool, man. Like these companies are coming out with all these neat little things to get, you know, super precise. And just for these, and you and I have talked before. These are just tighter tolerances we're fighting for. Like with just twisting, yeah, you can get it close and it'll probably work out. 
But if I can get those things hitting to where they are hitting at the exact same time, well, I've just eliminated, you know, a bunch of questions that'll come up if I'm seeing those up and down tears. Um, so yeah, there, it's an in cam timing. It's uh, yeah, just little tiny little metal hourglasses that go inside of your uh, cables. Highly recommend it for anybody that wants to, you know, be a little nuts like me and really spend a lot of time on that cam timing. Yeah, or yeah, I'm same. Um, yeah, tighter tolerances. It just makes for a more forgiving setup, which, you know, makes for a better shooting bow in the end. You know, it's like if you can take the time to to really go through that bow and get the absolute best tune in it you can, it like pays off down the road when you're shooting at that trophy bowl or trophy buck. I really think that. So, yeah, I, I'm same as you. So, OK, so uh, you got your cam timing right, your axle to axles right. Now everything's going. Uh, now you're going to move into the tuning process and see how that that arrow is actually leaving the bow. Mm-hmm. So uh, arrows so important to have them built right to where they're spine correct to your bow. That's like the most important thing. But but also like this is going to uh, this tuning process is going to show if that arrow isn't reacting right to the bow. But I always like to start with like a, a perfectly built arrow that's spined for that bow. Mm-hmm. Yep. And perfectly built arrows, man, are it's it's one of the it's one of the biggest things between you and shooting your broadheads accurately is getting arrows perfectly spined. And, uh, you know, this is something that can take a lot of playing around with, and it can take a lot of screwing up some arrows that you got to toss away because you were adjusting things, you know. And um, and I've, I've had some, some standards that I use, man, when it comes to spine. So I, I run some heavy uh, – I run, I run heavy components up front. So I'm usually a spine above – whatever the recommended spine is for my bow because adding things to the end of the arrow, like, you know, weakens it. And this just takes a lot of play, man. Like you want, some guys have a very strict preference on where their arrow is cut and where the broadhead ends up. Like some guys do not want that broadhead when they go to full draw coming anywhere near the riser. They like to leave arrows a little long. So that's going to make your arrow weaker. You know, I've seen some guys shoot small broadheads or shooting mechanicals that, they try to get that arrow as short as humanly possible and a lot of time to cut down weight to make it faster, but then you're making your arrow stiff. You really got to find that balance, man. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, there are, you, you can know, get a building bunch of, arrows you can get a bunch of arrows that are built for your bow. It is, it does come yeah. down to preference and also like those, um, you know, shorter arrows like built with the correct spine have like less wind drift, you know, because there's mm-hmm. less arrow shaft there to catch the wind. So, you know, I kind of like mine short, just beyond the rest a little bit, like to find the perfect spine and the perfect cut. And then I'm like you where I like heavy components out front. So I definitely have to size up in my spine. I like to use like that archer's advantage to help me dial in that cut so I don't have to wreck a bunch of arrows to get there. And, and after you set up a bunch of these bows with arrows you kind of know what that bow is going to get along with as far as spine and cut and um you know running it through the programs to see and go okay yeah this spine's going to work pretty good is kind of like my my starting point for sure yeah um they've the cool thing about arrows man is the menagerie of things you can find to change your arrows you know i've i don't think any part of my arrow is from the same company you know i I've got a brand of arrow. I've got a brand of insert uh, slash outsert, different brand of hit insert, different, you know, brand brands of field points. There's so many different things you can do. Um, you know, when you, when you get into the paper tuner, man, you know, the, 
you the first thing you got to keep in mind is you could end up chasing your tail for quite a while, which a lot of us a lot of us do. I have in my earlier it days. Man, oh man. Well, you still can. Like any bow can give you problems or any bow and arrow setup, but yeah, you t- you can right. chase your tail for sure. And then, you know, first thing, you know, if, if when you go to shoot um when you go to shoot that first arrow through paper, man, like if you're super close and you're up and down tear, well, that pretty much confirms that you've done a good job of picking out your spine. Um, I have seen the biggest correlation I've seen between guys and inaccuracy with broadheads is not having an arrow that's correctly spined. You know, it's it's all about it's it's just like when you build that perfect uh, rifle round for your gun. You know, you're trying different things to see what it likes because everything likes something different and. People claim like there's people that will claim certain bows like a weaker spine and some bows like a, a stiffer spine. And I've always ran mine optimally. Like you're talking about archer's advantage. I've used archer's advantage forever. Um, and I always use, use that as a general rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. And I won't necessarily make it so it's like perfectly optimal, but I use it as a guide to make sure I'm not getting out of the ranges too far. And that's always that's always that's always worked really um, well for me. You know, and on your arrow building, man, like it's components are components are everything and they're also all about preference you know some guys really like to stay away from aluminum and get more towards titanium you know so they have because i i think a big part of um an arrow flying well is all the strength up front which is why some of my components are heavier you know using titanium things like that um and i try different stuff every year and just kind of depends on what i'm thinking and and what i want to try and i always end up with about 200 grains up front no matter what but but in the paper tuning process like i said if we've if we've got good up and down tears or sorry no up and down tears then we're ready to move on to that side to side and so and this this has been another this has been such another great thing over the years is all these integrate parts you know so matthews for you know and i know we keep you and i just keep using matthews as the example because that's what we shoot but that integrate rest comes with those little numbers on it and you can set it, you can keep it right at zero because that's your bow's center shot. That's Matthew's center shot, which is right at 13 sixteenths. And this, and the, you know, the big thing, man, about, about tuning is tuning in spec. And that goes back to what I was saying. We need to make sure axle to axles, right? Um, we need to be very certain, like very sure that center shots, right? I've had guys, um, come have, worked on on their bows here and they're like you know i'm my my bow's throwing a really good paper tune but then i get outside at longer distances and with broadheads i'm starting to see these groups open up and i'm like well are you tuned in spec there's a difference between being paper tuned and and paper tuned in spec i'll look at their bow and see the rest is way jacked out to one side or it's too close to the riser or you know i see that you know their d loop is not centered enough and it's not, you know, pushing through the center of the bow correctly. Um, and then obviously the, with the way you and I adjust our bows with cam, with cam shimming, um, cause there's so many people that have tuned bows to get those side to side tears by just moving that rest around. I mean, really, man, these bows were designed so those rests aren't moved at the very most. You can move it maybe a tick mark, but once you put that rest on and you have it at zero, 13 sixteenths, you need to start working with your cams to correct side-to-side tears, not jacking around your rest. The rest serves as a micro-tune for when you just – they're just a little bit left or right, and you want to get that just perfect. And I just 
that that's what guys knew for so long was just to move their rest. But once we do that, we're out of spec. And this just leads to problems down the road that guys, they don't know why they occurred. You know, like I said, the paper tune looks good. Like, I don't get it. But we need to be tuned in spec, man. If not only we want to shoot accurately, but we want to throw broadheads accurately and we want to throw them accurately at long ranges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's just trying to get that thing to tune in spec, like you said. That's something that I'm always working towards. Because, yeah, you can have a bow that tunes outside or tunes inside. And it's not about having that thing sit way outside. It is about shimming those cams with their cam shim system to make it tune to the power path of that string right down that spec. So, man, I think you couldn't be more spot on with what you're talking about because it just makes for like a more forgiving setup out at range, out at different yardages. Uh, uh, just um, uh, it makes everything come together and makes for a more accurate bow. So, yeah, you're exactly right. It's like trying to get it tuned as close to the 13 sixteenths as you can by shimming the cams around. So that, yeah, that's something that I do as well. Yeah. And it takes a lot of time, man. Like, and there's, you know, there's other companies that have streamlined this process. Like, I, I don't know how well you pay attention to like Bowtech, but for years now you've been able to do their cam shimming with the twist of an Allen wrench. And now their new bows, you can also use an Allen wrench now to do your cam timing. Um, you know, which is, which is nuts. Like, you know, to be able to shim and time with an Allen wrench is, is crazy. But with our system, it's a little more rigid than that. You know, we're changing out top hats, which it takes a lot more time. But I really like that rigidity of the top hat system. Like, yeah, every time I want to make that left and right adjustment, I'm coming back and forth to the press. And, you know, I have to I have to remove the cams and check on all this stuff. But with the top hat system, because you can buy your whole kit you know, like, let's say you just you move the top hat on the top cam, just the, the slightest that you can. Like you change it out for one bigger size to move to the left or right. And then it went too far on the tear. Well, put it back the way it was. Try doing that adjustment on the bottom cam this time. See if that makes a difference. You know, you and this is the most time consuming part of paper tuning for me is the cam shimming because I like to get it. I like to get it right. And I'm, I'm not kidding. I've I've ran every size of top hat through both bottom and top cam before I got it just right. Me too. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it takes time, but I do like the rigidity in that system. man. like if I was, if I was walking around hunting with a bow where all that can be adjusted with an Allen wrench, I'm one of those guys that like, if I drop my bow, I'm going to be nervous that something came loose or, you know, something's going to turn and that I'm going to be paranoid. I'm going to be in my head like that. And that's what I love about the top hat system with Matthews is once you lock that in, that can't be screwed with once you're out in the field hunting. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I'm same. Yep. Um, so getting that, that timing with those top hats and making it come in to that factory spec makes a huge difference. And then, uh, do any bear shaft tuning or is all yours paper tuning that is, uh, I, I do, I do a little bit and now, you know, with this, you can dive into the craziest rabbit hole ever when it comes to bear shaft tuning because there's guys that like to index, uh, which is where they try to find the where that spine of the arrow is. And the spine of an arrow is when they're you know wrapping that carbon wherever it overlaps on there. There's that line down the down the arrow, um, and arrows flex with that line. They they flex from the strong side to the weak side. And so this is where bear shaft tuning comes into place. Um, and then there's a lot of different preferred 
methods on how to find this out, man. Like I'm sure you heard that guys will put a knock on each end of the arrow, throw it in the bathtub, <laughs> and then whichever side's pointing down is where that that stiff spine is. So, or guys are, or you know, the long way to do that is to shoot every uh, bear shaft through paper and knock tune them and turn them until you're getting the same bullet hole every time. Um, and I shoot. I shoot victory arrows to streamline that process, man. Victory arrows come with a spine marked on them. So, and, and yeah, it's, it's not perfect, but it's been, it's been plenty good enough to make sure that all my arrows are pretty much tuning the same. I will check those. I check my bear shafts, but I don't spend a ton of time on it because yeah. I build, when I build a new set of arrows for my bow, I build two dozen. Like I will be, I will be shooting all day long trying to get all those things perfect so i go with victory's spine mark and that's yeah. worked really well um i always point that straight up so we're flexing up and down and yeah not not too much time on the bear shaft stuff but but still making making a point to um make sure that spine's always pointed in the same direction oh wow yeah i guess i should uh pay more attention to it like i um yeah, I I definitely like uh, uh, weigh all my arrows for weight tolerance, and then mm-hmm. I I shoot them through the paper tuner and just make sure that they're tuning right. I don't spend much time bare shaft tuning anymore, like I have at different times in my life. But yeah, anymore it's like ah, I don't shoot good enough to tell the difference. But that is um, that is interesting about like getting your spine turned the right way at those arrows, so each arrow reacts the same to the bow. That definitely makes sense, and maybe something that I could spend a little bit more time doing but basically you're trying to get a good um paper tear through um uh, a good tear through paper getting a perfect bullet hole consistently through paper with multiple different arrows is at least how i do it and i spend quite a bit of time doing it which distances are you paper tuning and do you check it closer and further yeah i do i do check closer and further um some guys like to there are guys that literally have put paper tuners out there to, to 20 yards um, to really see where how their arrow reacts. Um, here in here in my my basement, I can get about 12 yards, and that's the furthest I'll ever go. I just start everything close, and then I'll just check some arrows, just a couple of them, a little further back, make sure the flight path is the same. My yeah. standard distance is not very far at all, like like about 15 feet. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of preferences on that too. A lot there of people, is. a lot of people think you need to shoot from from certain distances. But you know, all my every testing, all the testing I've done with my bows, that that distance of tuning has worked fine. And once I take the bow outside um, with that tune from that distance, everything's worked out just fine for me. So like I, the, I don't the, the yeah, proofs in the pudding. It's like uh, I yeah. I paper tune and I have my process and I'm about the same as you, about five yards or so, and then I'll scoot a little bit closer, a little bit further away. I just want to make sure they're coming out of the bow straight, and I'm not getting like the you know the the perfect distance away where the arrow's oscillating and I'm getting a good tear or something. So I'll scoot a little bit forward, a little bit back, and you're absolutely right. Is the proof is in the pudding? It's like when you get a good forgiving tune in a bow, you have it all within specs you take it outside and you start shooting and you start shooting broadheads your broadheads are slicing fletchings of your field points like they are shooting accurately um so yeah the proof is really in the outdoor and sticking big broadheads on it and having them shoot down range really accurately so that's what all this work is for with the arrows with your tuning process getting a good forgiving tune in the bow makes for good accuracy i believe and then once you take it outside you see that accuracy come to come to fruition 
Yeah, everything we're doing here, man, is about getting broadheads to fly true. And I don't know about you, but I've never believed in the whole broadhead tuning thing, which is where guys don't really like paper tune. They more like to just kind of go outside, see where field points and broadheads hit, and then move the rest around to get those right. I'm telling you right now, any bow that I have made – any bow that I've adjusted that has a good paper tune and the bow is inspect, I, I can take that bow outside and shoot just about any broadhead accurately. That's why this tuning process is so huge, man, because what we're doing is we're preparing for the real situation where you're, you know, maybe putting a big fixed blade on. You need that thing to fly correctly. And tuning a bow in spec has always led to me grouping broadheads at, you know, just about any distance that I'm comfortable shooting at. Um, and, and that's what I've always stuck with because it's worked for me. Just like you said, you know, proofs in the pudding because that, that's what you need to strive for in this whole process. I need to get my broadheads to fly true. And, you know, the, when people do that whole broadhead tuning thing where they're moving their rest around, depending on where field points and broadheads hit, like I, when I practice, I want to practice like I'm hunting, meaning, you know, wherever I'm aiming those field points at, that's where I want to know broadheads are hitting. Uh, you know, I don't want to have to move the rest around like it, it doesn't it doesn't feel right to me. Um, and so, yeah, all those steps that we've talked about, man, this is what has just led to me being able to shoot broadheads accurately because guys just want to go on forever about different brands of broadheads, which ones are more accurate and, and, and this and that. It's the tuning is it's all in the tuning. If the tuning is good, you can get just about any broadhead on the market to do the job you need it to do. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, all right, so you've got a good tune in the bow. It's getting along with these arrows. Uh, like, uh, now I think, you know, we finally, like, feel really good about the tune and the way it's shooting. Now it's just setting up that sight tape. And those sight tapes, yeah. it's not a one-day or a two-day process, at least not for me. Like, it's a multi-day or even week-long process <laughs> to find the right sight tape. And I'll move those things around, but to have an accurate sight tape that's money for your broadheads out at all distances and your field points, too, you know, it seems like they hit the same, but there is a distance out at about 100 or so depending on if you're shooting fixed or expandables where they do start to your broadheads do start to drop off a little bit so then you have to make the decision to set your sight tape to your uh, field points or to your broadheads which i always want it to my broadheads when i'm all said and done but that sight tape man that is such a process it's just not something that you can figure out in a day am i wrong there oh not at all not at all (laughs) i i play with it the the big thing before I go outside, man, I um, I I try to get at least a hundred to two hundred arrows through the bow just here in the basement so that everything settles in because I go recheck everything, make sure draw weight's still good, make sure cam timings right and all that. Um, just a little bit of a break in period on the string, but yes, after that, stepping outside, making that sight tape is something that I will spend weeks on. <laughs> um, yeah, because I I'm a I shoot single pin sights, man, so. For, you know, it, it, everything's got to be just right. And uh, and that's another one that like going back to the way guys like to sight in rifles, you know, they're they're doing it close or far. You know, it's the same thing with a bow. Like what kind of gap do you want to use to sight in your tape? The standard's always been 20 to 60. I stretch it out to the 30, 80 gap, yep. which takes a lot more shooting, man. Like it's it's tough for me to, you know, it's tough for me to make that sight tape based off my ADR group, like meaning – you know, if I go outside, get that 30-yard group really well, and then I stretch out to 80, 
but I'm feeling off. Like the group is the group I'm making is big. I will I will come back the next day because that is how you will make an inaccurate site tape is trying to do that quickly. Like, you know, that and that's the downfall to me wanting to stretch it out so far. I've just felt that my site tapes were more accurate when I did that bigger gap, that 3080 gap. So I do not select a tape until like I shot that 80 yard group and I felt like money, like every shot felt good, felt like I felt like execution was good. And they're also just grouping. Uh, and that's how I get that, that site tape gap. And um, I also use Archer's advantage for that, which is always worked phenomenally. Archer's advantage is cool because unlike the tapes that come with sites that are kind of just preset to a certain uh, feet per second, you can enter your um, peep to sight distance and the height of your arrow, uh, sorry, your the height of your peep above your arrow distance because those things come into effect when you're making those tapes. And man, I have tested those tapes out at, at tack and stuff like on my some of my target bows and my hunting bows and i swear man if i can get that 3080 gap right i can shoot like out to and this is always for fun of course but like 130 140 yard shots at tack and that tapes always just came in came in perfectly and then when i start making accurate shots at distances like that when hunting comes comes up like you know a couple months later man do i feel confident really confident yeah 100 percent. yeah i do the same thing i stretch out in that bigger gap and then i'm marking where my 30 and my 80 is i'm matching a sight tape to it and then once i get a sight tape on there too i kind of build a relationship with the sight tape like really working it at different distances and longer distances and just making sure i'm not a hair low or a hair high and then you know, I almost don't trust one day's group on it. It's like, okay, well, we'll see how it shoots tomorrow. And then pretty soon I start to get a feel for it. Like, oh, man, like out there, once I get past 80, like I'd starting to drop just a hair low, 105, 110, starting to be a hair low. So I might move my indicator pin a little bit and then check it back at 30, or I may have to go one feet per second different on my sight tape, and I may put a different sight tape and then shoot that one and build a relationship with that one, you know. So you're right. When it is spot on, you just have so much trust and faith that that arrow is going to hit exactly where your pin is. Yeah, exactly, yeah. man. And uh, obviously, the distances I was just talking about. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not practicing to hunt at those distances. <laughs> but when we practice, when we discipline ourselves and practice at those really crazy hundred hundred plus yard distances, man, it makes forty yard shots seem like such a chipper. Um, and, and that's, and that's why, like when you shoot those longer distances, you have to learn more control. You have to, you have to, you know, re and that's where everything comes into play. You know, you got to make sure your grip is, is perfect and everything you do manipulates arrow flight at that range. And if you can really shoot solid groups at those distances, that's, what's going to make you just such a better archer when you step into the field and get mm -hmm. those more typical, you know, 40, 50 yard shots. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then get that thing all set up it's like important to take your specs off your ata and mark it down on a piece of paper i also like to mark my cams where the riser crosses just so i know if anything's moved at any time like once i get my tune and everything's set i want to mark it and know that it's not going to move yeah exactly and i do all the same stuff too um and and you know before after a summer of you know shooting before uh, antelope opens up i always i always step back in here and i check everything out check that paper tear one more time um check all the specs and you know once all that is done man and our sight tape is is good i mean 
we're good to we're good to go. We're ready to go hunting. <laughs> yeah, I do find like as I get in December, right before seasons, like you, you know, at at least with these strings that I've been using, I notice that they can be a little laxer. If I went on a bunch of hunts in the spring and I was in Australia and I was, you know, it was here, there, and everywhere. Strings got wet, they dried out. I do notice that I'll start to lose a little bit, and so I'll check my ATA, and it's like, oh man, it's a sixteenth off, and so that'll throw your sight tape off and everything off, and so you want to return it back to those specs. But I, I do find with you know however many thousands of arrows I shoot throughout a year that I do get some stretch in my strings. Yeah, you, you will. Every every string out there is going to stretch for a little bit, and it should. That's that's what it's meant to do. It's a it's a break in period, just like a pair of boots. Um, make sure you know, make sure that stuff's all set on. Which is why I emphasized shooting a couple hundred arrows here in the basement. At and I'm not target practicing. I'm just working on form and just making sure that string has time to you know work through and and get settled because. Yes, strings can be a little finicky. You know, it's I, I, you know, I don't ever recommend, you know, getting tuned, getting your sight tape, and you know, then just jumping into hunting if you plan on being abusive, or you know, the weather plans on being abusive on your bow. Um, seen, you know, guys leave their bows in a hot truck by accident, and I, it's it's crazy. People will joke around about that, but I've seen guys leave a bow in a hot truck and pull it out, and their their peep is twisted from you know, from the string getting so hot, depending, you know, depending on the brand and how hot it got in there. So yeah, strings, you got to take care of your strings, man. They need to be, they need, you got to keep an eye on them and, you know, make sure everything stays good because you don't want to end up out in the field and all of a sudden now from from string stretch, you know, (laughs) you could, a a 50 yard chipper shot could end up being a nightmare. (laughs) Man, 100%, man. So spot on. Well, dude, that's exactly why I wanted to get through and walk through your setup with the bows. You're so meticulous, like, how you set these things up. And it definitely, like, uh, pays off come season and all the animals that you harvest with great shots, man. It's, like, the key to it. So your hunting season this year, like, um, you know, I I talked about it at the beginning of the podcast, but you and your buddy got an absolute slammer of a bull, huh? Yeah, we did, man. We, uh, my... That was he. He's been my best friend uh, since high school. Um, he he moved out to Billings a while ago. Um, started a family and everything, and and we loved hunting together. When we were younger. We've been meaning to forever. So this year we finally made a plan to get back together in a spot that he was very familiar with, um, and and I wasn't. I was going to go into it brand new. So it was it was awesome, man. Like packed up packed up the camper, uh, headed out, got in this spot, and uh, he he's fairly he was. He's fairly new to archery hunting. He's been hunting his whole life. Um, but he was excited about us getting out there together, man, and being able to bounce ideas off each other and, you know, see what we can come up with. And we go into an area, man, that, you know, he was – he basically – we had the first day for him to kind of show me around and show me what he had learned about it. And right off the bat, I can tell this is an area that holds big bulls. The 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 elk density was actually pretty low, and it was – difficult it was a difficult hunting terrain it was very open with small tree patches and i mean the first night i think we spotted like a 350 bull coming on the edge of one of those patches and what we didn't want to do is start you know penetrating in there hard getting in those trees getting our scent around and uh you know he had told me about some bulls he had seen here that were just monstrous and uh there was one that he had a set of sheds off of and they were 
I, I held them, you know, they, they were enormous and I didn't try to put a score on them right then and there. And it was a bull that he had actually never seen alive before. Uh, but you know, knew this bull had to be somewhere, but, and that bull really didn't occur to us much while hunting, you know, we were just trying to make the best of it. And, um, the, the, I think it was the third day of the hunt. Um, elk hunting got, got pretty slow weren't seeing a lot during the day, got back to camp and we headed out on an evening, man. And, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of slow again. Weren't hearing bugles. And, and this year, I don't know if you noticed Brian, but this year's elk hunting, everything was really weird from the moisture we had and elk were acting very differently. Um, cause as you know, like you, I love to do spot and stock ambush tactics and elk were not patterning the way they usually are because they had moisture and water everywhere. They had food all over the place, so these elk were just traveling. And one night, um, him and I came up on a ridge and heard a bugle on the other side of this ridge. And up up comes a couple of cows starting to expose themselves on the ridge. And him and I are on one side of the ridge, these elk are on the other. And here comes this rack that I had I couldn't wrap my head around it was it was this, it was a huge bull man, and I saw some character in the rack that looked like the sheds. And got the binos out and started looking at him I'm like, buddy, that is your bull. Like that is, that's him. And he, he was like, are you sure? And I'm like, I, I yeah, like I, I'm sure. Like I've, I can see the character, like everything's there. And, um, you know, immediately, man, we kind of just jump into the spot and stock ambush methods. And I, I, you know, I just, my rule of thumb, man, is I don't, I don't call to Magnum bulls like that. You know, I got to assume this bull's been hunted his whole life. Um, and everybody's been trying to kill him with the same method, you know, of bugling and cow calling. But the advantage we had was that the wind was on our side and we had a really good wind. And one of those cows went to dip back down the ridge and he chased back after her. And so the elk disappeared down the ridge and me and him got down low and we scurried across that ridge as quickly as we could to get into this patch of dead trees. We saw, we dive into that patch of trees and then here comes one of the cows coming back up the hill. And so, like I said, perfect wind. And uh, he's kind of angled behind me, and I'm just paying attention to what's going on, kind of trying to whisper to him, give him play-by-plays. And these elk come up, and this cow sweeps in front of us. And I, I'm, I just, I, I know the bull is going to follow up. And sure enough, another cow, another cow, and here comes that bull. And I will never forget this the rest of my life, man, because my buddy actually couldn't see this being angled behind me. But that bull let out a bugle in my face at 35 yards that I'll never forget the rest of my life. And he's coming up and he's following the path of these cows and the cows are at 30 yards. And I'm just I'm, I know he's going to take the same path. And I'm whisk- with everything I had. I'm whispering to him out of the corner of my mouth, like, draw your bow, draw your bow, draw your bow, draw your bow. And he, I hear him draw and he still can't see the bull because I'm blocking him. And that bull swept in front of us. And he had being in that dead tree patch. He had like a 15 inch gap to shoot through these trees. And right when that bull stopped, man, that arrow came flying past me and absolutely smoked him at uh, 30 yards flat. Made a perfect shot. This bull went about 100 yards, tipped over, and we walked up to him, man, and we're trying to wrap our our heads around it. Like, what did we just? What is this? Like, what did we? What did we just do? Like, I I've never touched a bull this big in my hands, and um, 
you know, we, we sat there, took it in together, like, you know, pretty much the pinnacle reunion you could have as a hunting duo. And that bull, uh, we did, you know, it was a long night. <laughs> it was a long night out in the field, man, getting them all prepped and everything and getting them cut up and getting them back to camp. And when we did, we did like a quick field measure and we were getting in the high 380s. And then, you know, later on, got him professionally scored and uh, his net score came out to 406 eighths. And it's going in the books. It'll be currently the number four non-typical bull taken with a bow in Montana. Man, that's incredible. What a bull, huh? Yeah, it, it was it was the most unreal thing because you know, man, as as elk hunters, that's the that's the pinnacle. A 400 inch bull is is a one in ten thousand elk. I was hoping sometime in my life to just be a part of watching a 400 inch bull get killed. You know, if I, I could, if I don't kill one the rest of my life, just being there for that and watching this bull get perfectly shot at 30 yards by my best friend who has earned this his whole life has worked so hard you know he's he'd shot he had worked he had grinded it out on public land for so long his whole life man shooting a lot of bulls that i i don't know if any of them ever came over 300 and you know to to shoot this bull especially with a bow we're still taking it in man like i'm kind of at a loss for words a little bit on it um but we're still trying to wrap our heads around what he actually killed and I, yeah, it was is the best thing that I've gotten to be a part of elk hunting, man. I mean, a, four, a 400 is just it's the ultimate goal that 99.9% of elk hunters aren't sadly going to achieve, or even so see. Being, or even see, because I don't even I don't even know if I can tell you that while bow hunting, I've had a 400 inch bull come in my sights. I don't I don't think I have. You know, trying to think back on everything and um. It was it was incredible, man. Like it was the biggest it was the biggest highlight of of 2023 and of my hunting life. And um, he was he was so deserving of it, man. It was it was an insane moment. Like I said, I'm still at a loss of words just talking about it. Man, that's so cool, Kane. Yeah. yeah, congrats to you guys. Like what a bull, just a bull of a lifetime, you know. It's like, yeah, you think about some of those big things and wonder if you'll ever get the chance or even to be part of or even to lay eyes on, you know. It's like such a a giant bull. And dude, like a 350 bull is a giant bull to go right. to go right. 400 inches is crazy, man. I can't imagine. I measured one that a buddy shot that was like 390 one time, you know. And I wasn't <laughs> along on the hunt. I wasn't there. I just I measured it for him. It's just incredible that the numbers added up to that and those big ones have so much mass they carry so much mass out all their times but it's like just like an absolute different species but man that is super cool and and um super cool like uh how you look at the experience and share it with your buddy like really in this life like we have our own personal hunting goals but really you know we've got our family and we've got our friends in life and our friends like we have to pull for their success and to see him succeed and to be happy for him is like really meaningful and feels really good. And also I think it's like good karma out in the hunting world and who knows, maybe your 400 inch bull is coming next. Like I, you've killed a yeah. bunch of great bulls <laughs> with your bow and you're so consistent, man. It's just year after year after year, not just bulls, but bucks and antelope. Uh, you're such a good bow hunter. So yeah, I can't help but think like that you have a big one like that in your future, but um, yeah, congratulations yeah. to you too. What an yeah. accomplishment. What a bull, man. 
Yeah, thanks, man. It was it, we're already planning our hunt next year together because of just we uh, both of us are, are guys that we've hunted alone a lot. I've shot most of my archery bulls completely alone, and uh, we just realized how much more fun hunting is together, but how much more effective it was because we had we have super similar hunting styles, and that can be a lot of fun. And then two days later on that hunt, man, I I arrowed a bear with my bow that's in contention for one of the top spots. Um, top spots in the state for Pope and young. So I'm, I'm really excited to see where that comes back at. We did that in the same trip. It was, it was, it was nuts, man. <laughs> trying to remember Kane. Is that, was it a big chocolate? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought him, so. Okay. Him and I, yeah, he, he, after he killed that bull, we were still hunting for elk, but we, uh, we moved into an area where, uh, we had seen some really good bear sign and, uh, you know, just like you, man, I love to chase bears with a bow. And in, in Montana, chasing bears with a bow is about as you know it doesn't get more fair chase than that so difficult uh, man <laughs> it's like yeah, might be the and, most difficult species is to kill a big one with a bow yeah i mean you're a master at it man i like that's like you've you've shot so many with your bow and i've always paid attention to everything you've said and done about bear hunting with a bow but but this year um in spring man i hunted very very hard uh with my bow for bears i strictly went with my bow uh, nothing ended up working out, put on a lot of miles, got rained on. But then in this hunt, him and I, uh, we started getting on some bear sign and we switched over into kind of a bear mode and we got out on a really, really windy day and, and we're, we're walking out across some open country, man, and about, I want to say three quarters of a mile away, we see air moving across country that at first sight thought it was a grizzly like a hundred percent, uh, Brown, uh, walking like a grizzly. And I, I looked at him and I was like, dude, do you think, you think that's a grizzly? He's like, well, there's only one way to find out. And, uh, that bear kind of got into a little bit of a dip in the land there. And so we just start hauling it to him as fast as we could staying, staying downwind. And, um, luckily like he wasn't, he wasn't popping back out anywhere. We're like, man, I think we're going to zero right in on him. And, uh, we come up over this little bluff and there he is, he's, he's digging at something along this pond. And when he turned his face to us, that's kind of, that was kind of the dead giveaway. Like we put the binos on him and he's like, that's the biggest black bear I've ever seen in Montana. And, and Montana's different, man, when we're talking about judging black bears, I mean, black bears here have, uh, their survival's a lot tougher. Like we're not known for monstrous black bears. And I just couldn't believe the size of this thing. So he stayed, he, my buddy stayed up on, up on that bluff. And luckily I just had this nice little finger to work down and I start crawling down it. That bear held his position and dude spot and stock this bear right to 34 yards. I used this little, I had one little boulder to hide behind, got that 30 yard range, 34 yard range pulled up and pulled through a shot and absolutely smoked him, man. And, when he hit the ground, you know, now, now it's getting even more surreal. Like, man, we just, we just killed two like record book sized animals in a matter of, you know, 36 hours. Um, and that bear ended up, uh, weighing, we were, we were able to get a whole weight on him. He ended up weighing just over 350 and measured seven feet square. Mm. And, uh, the skull, uh, has to, it's still, in a beetle tank right now. Um, but when it comes out, we're kind of hoping for, we're hoping for that top five spot and Pope and young with this bear. So 
big big achievement for me man like i've been i've been wanting to shoot a magnum bear like that in montana my whole life especially with archery equipment um yeah man so just just a couple of just absolute raw spot and stock hunts that couldn't have worked out any better shot placement couldn't have been any better like uh yeah it was it was some, it was time it was a time i'll never forget the rest of my life and i didn't even shoot a uh, an elk with my bow this season and i'm still chalking it up as by far you know the best bow season i've ever had which is it's crazy every year i'm like man how can how can this get any better and you know watching your buddy kill a 400 and then being able to arrow such a monstrous bear for the state of montana um man i'm so so grateful and so thankful it was amazing dude it's incredible it's just yeah. a testament to all your hard work and dedication, like uh, dedication to your craft. Like uh, you have worked tirelessly to improve to be the absolute best hunter you can be. And uh, you didn't kill a bull this year with your bow, you killed one with your rifle later in the season. But, dude, you're year after year you kill one with your bow and all the <laughs> different species as well. Uh, so it's like all your hard work and effort over the years of improving your skill set to to be a good bow hunter, like not only to find those animals, but to stock those animals and then to keep your cool and be able to make a shot on a giant trophy. It's like some of these some of these opportunities, if we would have got them when we were younger, I don't know that they would have turned out the same or like, you know, it's like a, you almost work yourself to the skill set where you're at and then you get an opportunity and able to capitalize. But, yeah, that's just amazing, uh, man. Good for you my, guys. I'll tell you what, man, if, if 10 years ago, I would have screwed up both of those stocks. <laughs> Me no too. Doubt, no, no <laughs> doubt about it. Those, those, those two kills, man, were the results of all different types of failures. Yeah. Um, all the hard lessons I've learned and animals that either that got away or I couldn't get an arrow off in time. Um, this is what it all adds up to, man. Like, you know, and, and obvious, you know, every year I, I try to improve the, the size of the animals I'm killing, or I try to get in a certain range of what I'm killing, but you know, two animals of this caliber is what all those failures lead up to, man. Like, cause I, I remember when spring season closed this year on, on the night of June 15th, I was like, man, like, I don't know how I didn't make this happen. Like I was, I have been out tirelessly. I've been getting, I've been in the rainstorms. Like I, I've just been hiking and grinding and grinding. And then, you know, to come into fall season and be able to accomplish that, you know, that's when I was really able to reflect back and be like, I, this is why, this is why there's so, this is why failing is so important, mm -hmm. you know, because later on when you look back, you can be like, yeah, there was all a reason for this, you know, like in my, in my mind, my spring season was me earning that bear, you know, um, and it's just something that added up to it, man. All these things, you know, and everything we've talked about today, man, is, you know, from the, from working on the bows and, you know, shooting smaller animals when we're younger and working our way up. This is what it all leads up to, man, is, is two animals of, of this caliber, in, in my opinion. Oh, 100%. Yeah, you're spot on. Well, yeah, man, always cheering for your success, like uh, keep in touch. We need to get together and shoot here um, in this off season, or get together for a bear hunt or something. So, yeah, keep in touch. Yeah. We have each other's numbers. <laughs> um, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast, man. It's just awesome. Yeah, absolutely, buddy. I always appreciate talking to you, and I know we this is pretty much our time to catch up each year. So uh, I really appreciate it, man, and keep it up with everything you've been doing, man. It's been, it's been fun watching you, man. I, I got to – I got to sit down and watch the the BC go hunt and 
man, it, it tickled me, man. Like you've been, you've been just crushing it. And, uh, I tell you what, man, like you're, you're one of my, you know, I, I look up to you a lot. Like I, I watch these, I watch these videos and I watch how hard you work at this. And it's one of the things that goes into making me work harder every year. So I, I appreciate everything you do and, you know, how hard you work to make these awesome films that are just incredible hunts. Mm, it's so kind, man. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it, man. And likewise, I look up to you as well. It's like uh, how hard you work and how dedicated you are to your craft. It's um, no surprise where you, why you're seeing the success that you do. So um, thanks, man. I appreciate you. Appreciate your time. Let's keep in touch. Yeah, absolutely, buddy. Take care. We'll talk soon. Okay. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Uh, thanks for listening in. Thanks again to Kane for his time, uh, sharing just a, a bunch of information on setting a bow up from scratch, which I think is great. And I picked up a couple tidbits as well that I'm going to incorporate in my setup. Uh, one of them is that, um, oh, that sight jig he was talking about uh, for setting his third axis and everything. I think that would be beneficial. Mine is like pretty rudimentary, old school way of going and shooting angles. So I'll definitely proof it. But um, yeah, I think I'm going to get that that jig just to help me with setting up. Um, it's so tough to, to get my bow level and then the sight level and the level level. Uh, it's such a process. So I think if I can... Um, streamline that I'll be a little bit better off but yeah thanks to Kane for coming on thanks to you guys for listening in thanks to Eastman's for their support uh, also our sponsors make sure to check them out over at Element and um, also check them out at Six Sour Optics and uh, Black Ovis so um, yeah with that man I'm just fired up it's like um, it's the beginning of the new year here definitely getting in all my lifting and weight training ran yesterday it was negative 40 degree weather i think it was only about minus 25 when i went and ran but um yeah definitely getting a dose of cold now it's been such a nice winter and i've been running on dry dirt which has been really nice and now the last couple weeks i've had to switch to running on snow i actually want to get some cross training in and get on my um, cross-country skis here but lately just been running in the snow which is painful it's just like takes so long to get anywhere um my miles are just so much slower and it's like any of that snow is just like sand to try to run in and i can see you know i've always said like the exertion in snow is twice or three times that of dry dirt and it sure is i can see it in my running times like gosh for me to do a six mile run takes me forever uh but what it is good is it's good mentally to make myself get out there day after day uh, it's also good, like it's a high exertion running these miles and it's a bit of a fight. Um, so it's like training me for next late season as well. Like hunting these late season muleys in November and December can get bitter cold, deep snow, and it's tough to get around. So it's like good training for that. And, um, yeah, it just feels good to kind of be back in the groove of things. Like um, finish up hunting season, it was a great one with a bunch of good adventures. Like, man, my cup is sure full of like all these great muley adventures and elk adventures. And it's just fun to start over and start planning things. So, you know, right now looking at my Wyoming elk app, looking at my Arizona elk app, I'm like, man, I would love to draw a premium tag. But just really diving in the research to find a good unit with the best odds that I can. And so... um man it's been really fun it's like starting to think about next season i've got that lift shooting so good so accurate right now uh shooting a bunch of indoor and 
I don't, you know, I don't know what my average is. I shot a couple 299s and, um, you know, I, I think, you know, usually shooting in between a 295 and a 300. I have a couple 292, 293 rounds as well, but I'd say my average is probably around 296 or so. And, um, man, I'm really close to just pumping out those 299, 300 rounds. I actually haven't shot a 300 with this lift yet. Uh, two 299 rounds. And the other one, one the other day was my last arrow. Um, which is tough. All the pressure's on and you really want to shoot a good round. And I have to say that I'm not in big tournaments. I'm not shooting big. Like this is just me by myself practicing. Like I love to practice with buddies and shoot leagues as well. But you know, this is just, um, just my own practice, but it's so nice. It's 40 below outside and I'm getting my shooting and my arrows in every day. In fact, yeah, I shot this morning. I think I shot a 298 this morning, which was a good round for me. And, uh, yeah, it's just been fun working on my form. I've got that new Matthews ID, that shot ID. And so it tracks absolutely all my shots and I can look at all my shots and look what happens when I get late in my shot sequence, you know, or, uh, you know, play around with my stabilization and see if my holds better. Uh, so it's been really fun to play with, but, um, yeah, that's, um, that's what I'm working on. It's just working towards next season, you know, enjoying time with my family as well. Gosh, I, be, I better wrap this up or I'm going to get into another solo podcast. But I'm just so fired up at this 2024 season and trying to put some hunts together and figure out where I'm going to go. Man, it's so exciting. And uh, so I, I love that this bow hunting lifestyle is 365 and also looking towards spring and seeing what I'm going to plan there. Definitely hunting spring bears and um but yeah, it's just a fun time of year for me where I can really reset and um, kind of move on to this 24 season. So super pumped. Uh, keep working hard, you guys. It pays off. And um, man, can't thank you guys enough for the support. With that, I'll check in with you guys next week.